Hey guys, how's it going? Welcome to uh, Know Your Gear QA podcast live QA. I think I said that twice. Uh, number 144. I'm pretty sure last week was 143. Sometimes I, I think I should probably go double check. Uh, so fast week this week, crazy week this week for me. I hope you guys had a great week. Uh, announcements. I have a few. Hold on a second. Um, first, I'd like to point out, thank you again for everybody who's joined me on the Reachable app uh, program. It's been working out pretty good. Um, if you guys will see the link down below, what basically it does is you can use that phone number to text me a, a message. If you want to text me a question or message, you can do that for absolutely free one time. Uh, so it's just, if you ever want to get a hold of me and send me a message, I'm pretty fast on them. Usually within 24 to 48 hours, I'll respond. Um, after that, you have to sign up. I think it's like five bucks to the month or something like that. But that's up to you if you want to do that later. It's just great because, like I said, it's a fast way to get a message to me because it comes through an app that it's easy uh, for me to use. Um, I'm utilizing the time when I can't do anything else uh, to just go through and work that the the app. So please uh, be aware of that. If you're international, you can still use it. You just have to download the app. You just can't use the phone number uh, thing. But it's very self-explanatory, very easy. So I'll let you know. You can try it for free. Just thought I'd let you tell you because uh, it's been working great. Thank you, everybody, who's been uh, joining me on that uh, program. Uh, the other thing I want to let you know is that I put a discount code for today's episode. It will be for this weekend uh, for 15% off the merch store because we haven't done that in a while. I thought that'd be a little fun to do. And then last, I want to remind you that uh, Mojo Tone Amps is doing another amp build class on the 28th and 29th here at Roberto Venn School of Luthery in Phoenix, Arizona. Uh, I know some of you guys have reached out and let me know you're having trouble signing up for the class. They're a little slow, <laughs> it seems like, to get information there. Please just go to their website if you have any concerns or like you, uh, if you've done in the past, message me. I have no problem passing on the messages. They're, uh, they're working hard to get everybody signed up for the class. I'm not sure how many slots are left. There was 15 to start with. So hopefully they're filling up. If not, jump on that. It's a thousand bucks. It comes with a seven hundred fifty dollar amp and a um, and a full two day class. And I think pizza. They feed you pizza during lunch. Uh, I will not be at this class, uh, but I will be doing a meetup uh, that Saturday at a uh, it's a bar restaurant down the street, literally down the street. I mean, you could walk there from Roberto Ben. It's just a quick little jaunt, and uh, I'll be doing the meetup. I'll be setting the time. I'm pretty sure it's gonna be seven o'clock that Saturday p.m. Uh, I'm sure the time is set. It's just the location. I'm 99% sure which place it is. What I want to do is as we get closer, I'd like to actually reserve a table there uh, for whoever's going to show up, whether it's just you know one person and me or 10 people. So, And that's open to anybody that wants to do that meetup. So I'll make that announcement here on the show. Um, but obviously, anybody who does the class, I would I want to make sure that they're going to join and be there uh, if that's something they want to do. All right. That was the announcement section. I think we're done. Okay. let's. Uh, you guys already have questions and comments and stuff. Let's look at the first comment that posted today was uh, Frank Rizzo from the Jerky Boys says, hey, Phil. Uh, by the way, thank you. Two things. Uh, thanks. Frank Rizzo reminded me of two things. First, if you're watching this uh, episode and you want to uh, see later on the rebroadcast, the replay, all of the questions, comments are indexed below. I index them after the show so you can go right to them. The other thing is, is that if you want to ask a question during the live show, please start it with a question mark. That way I know it's not a comment. It's a question. And uh, thank you. Frank Rizzo did that. Uh, Phil, how can I fix a stripped tremolo backplate uh, is there an easy fix? Thank you. Um, tremolo back plate. I'm confused by this question. A stripped tremolo back plate. 
when I think of a strip, when I think of a tremolo black backplate, I'm thinking of the plastic plate that's covering up the tremolo and behind the, and so that's where I'm confused about the stripped part. You mean the screws are stripped? That's a tricky question. Um, try to zoom, uh, try to fixate that or kind of give me more detail, Frank. Um, I'm not sure what's, I'm thinking what else would you would call a backplate on the tremolo? What else would be the tremolo? Uh, Cause I'm thinking, I'm going to throw all the tremolos in my head. I'm picturing them all. a backplate. I don't know why I'm not picturing it. Uh, to me, it's strip backplate. Sounds like strip screws out. So, uh, so we'll try and get to that. Uh, okay. So John says it, it's the screws that go into the wood. There's a few things you can do. Okay. Yeah. So John Doe is thinking the same thing as me. It's the screws going into the wood. Um, Yes, there's a ton of things to do. It's hard to explain verbally without any kind of illustration. Um, sometimes you're lucky and I can just get some some grips, some grips, some vice grips on them and, and work them out that way. I have a tap it, if you know what that is. I can sometimes uh, tap into them and then kind of back them out that way. There's a ton of ways to do that. But I'd have to, I really, that's something I really would want to see it before I tell, start telling you what to do with it because it could be super easy. Um, it's probably not going to be hard, but it could be something super easy versus something that we can make kind of hard. Um, let's see, Frank. Oh, another question from Frank Brizzo, but I just caught it. So it says, hey, Phil, what's up with PV? Question mark. I noticed no YouTuber and smaller booth uh, guitar and bass wise. Nothing new. What's your opinion? Uh, you know, I know PV's there. So, you know, I'm just waiting for PV to announce it. And I'm, oh, this is going to sound horrible. I'm just waiting for them to announce that they close. They go out of business. That's how I, that's how I feel. Um, I saw what PV offered at the Summer NAM because the Summer NAM is such a small event that when you walk by, you get to see everything. They had some stuff out, a few items here and there. Obviously, I think we've definitely, uh, talked about this many episodes that I am a fan of PV that I am definitely a fan of the classic series amps. I've always liked them. The 50, 5150 amps, uh, the 321, right? It's, is that what it is? 32. Yeah. 321 amp. If I'm saying it wrong, I'd always remember that number for some reason, but, um, I mean, there's a lot of amps that I like. I like the mini heads. I like the mini, cla mini classic 20. There's a lot of stuff I like about PV, but PV to me is a brand that just doesn't understand the new market, the new consumer. Um, and I, I, I find it sad because it's a brand that's really, it's important to me because it has a history with me. My first really cool amp, which is sad, is was, <laughs> was a PV Rage. I'm saying it's sad because that was a $99 amp. But when I got my PV Rage, that was my first amp with distortion on it. And it sounded, to me, it was just amazing. And I remember like playing that amp thinking, it's never going to get any better than this. This is the best amp ever. Uh, you know what I mean? I think at that time, I've been playing guitar for about 10 months to almost a year. And uh, I was like, you know, because uh, I remember about one year, I, I think we, my, my, we decided that if I, you know, I stuck with it, I could upgrade an amplifier. And so we got a PV Rage for a hundred bucks. Anyways, so I've always been, yeah. And uh, Dirt Racer X says, I still rock a 6505 plus. Again, I'm a big fan of the product. P There's no question about my love for PV product. I love their product. I have behind me right now, over in that rack that you can't see, 
is a is a 19 I think 98 PV Wolfgang, right? It's one of the best guitars probably ever made. Uh, and uh, like so, that all being said, I, I just don't know what PV does now. I, I don't know. They don't tend to come out with a lot of new products. They tend to. They do a lot of what I call false starts. Uh, what I mean is, uh, they I see a product that's coming out, it never comes out, or it never, you know, it's it's it, it takes forever. So I would imagine that's why you're not seeing a whole lot from them. I know they were at the the Winter Nam show because I had to walk by that section of it to get to over to where Hughes and Kettner and uh, IK Multimedia and Hosa and um Tascam was you know because i was going going to visit those booths and i was gonna stop at the pv booth but to be honest with you i didn't stop because as i was walking i'm like you know hey man when you've been walking for four days <laughs> you know a uh, hundred feet is like i don't know you gotta want to walk that hundred feet <laughs> so uh because your feet uh, you know and i'm dumb i i don't know if i told anybody this i i left for california and uh, I wear Vans wherever I go, except for, uh, you know, obviously big events like that. You know, you wear, you wear tennis shoes, regular shoes. I left my shoes and I should have stopped somewhere and bought shoes, but I was afraid of that whole, you know, you shouldn't wear brand new shoes. So I was wearing my Vans the entire event. Uh, that's a brutal thing, man. <laughs> Vans are not very comfortable for a lot of walking. So that's my long way of saying I didn't go to their booth because I didn't think they had anything. I hope I was wrong. You know what I mean? I hope to find out there was something great there, but I haven't seen anything. So that's my take on PV. Um, I hope I hope one day I can totally, you know, uh, eat crow in this comment, uh, this whole section I just talked about. I'd love to love to see PV just come back stronger than ever. I think they have great product. I think they have all the I think I have all the elements to do so, but just poor execution in my opinion um so there you go and uh okay uh mickey sz i know there's some super chats i promise to get to them i'm just trying to get some some questions real quick mickey sz says hey phil what's the story on the washburn costume shop uh just bought a 2008 and i'm really impressed by all the all-around sound and quality of the price I, I again another great guitars i don't think my washburn no my washburn custom shop's not in here it's in the other room uh i think washburn made some of the best guitars especially out of that custom shop uh out there on the market some of them were killer you can score smoking deals on uh american-made washburns now um if you're out there looking um <laughs> I'm actually thinking right now. I'm picturing I have friends right now. I can hear in my head saying, no, Phil, don't tell them because they like to buy them up because they can pick up really sweet custom American made Washburn guitars for 500 bucks. You know what I mean? They're out there. Um, great stuff. As far as my understanding now, there is no current Washburn custom shop. It, it was shut down. It was shut down when Parker was dissolved as a brand. And I know that they're currently making the Nuno guitars and the Michael Sweet guitars. But is my understanding is that is built by a builder um, that I think builds some of the American-made BC Rich stuff. I think that's the same. I could be totally wrong on that. Please don't take that to heart. Somebody or, you know, take that as, you know, fact. Again, I'm just going off something. Somebody was talking about it. I remember hearing 
uh, but not really being paying attention to it. So maybe this is one of those moments where maybe I should have paid more attention to what they were saying. But I got the gist of it that it, obviously to make two or three different models, maybe four different models of washburns, they're just having a uh, what we would call ghost builder build it, which is not a bad thing at all. Just they're having somebody in the U.S. who builds bodies and guitars and necks uh, and build the build the guitars. So um, and then they buy them from them. So that's how it kind of works. It's just no different than going to China and having a Chinese factory building the guitars and then buying the guitars from them and selling them to your dealers. They're doing the same thing for that many limited models. They just don't need a full shop. They don't need to operate that. It's an expensive cost for sure. So that is my, uh, so the part I'm sure of is they are, there is no Washburn custom shop. I'm very sure of the fact that they are having somebody else do the, the uh, instruments for them now. Um, I just, like I said, my guesswork was that it's somehow connected to someone who's do also doing work for Beast Rich. Could be totally wrong on that part is what I'm saying. Um, I'm not sure. I just know they do other things besides the Washburn guitars. I just couldn't remember what. <laughs> so, so there you go. And again, coast building, very, very popular in the 80s. Uh, and um, I hope it becomes popular again. I think it's a great way to keep companies like Washburn, keep an American line of guitars in there. So I have some super chats stacking up. I'm going to kind of go through them uh, real quick since uh, they were kind enough to to kind of do the super chat. Mark says, can you age an Arctic white polyurethane guitar using a tanning bed? That's a great question. Uh, looking for Randy Rhodes Gibson LP tent, Les Paul tent. Uh, would it damage the fretboard? Okay, so here's the, here's the gist of it. Um, UV light. There's a couple of things that you, you you understand. I just want to be clear. Water will eventually cut through a rock, right? It's 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 just a, a fact. Um, eventually, UV light will destroy something. It will fade it. It will wear it out. It'll make it crack. It'll make it crumble. Um, so so to answer your question, will a tanning bed uh, will it age a polyurethane guitar? Yes, in the idea that eventually UV light uh, breaks down anything over time. My guess, though, is that whatever desired effect you're going for, you're not going to come across it because, first of all, polyurethane is very resilient. It's not like lacquer, nitrocellulose lacquer. It's it's going to be a lot harder finish. And a lot of them are even UV cured, which makes it even tougher. Um, so what I'm saying is it would take you a long time to to see the damage from a tanning bed, you know, fade the finish out. Cause eventually, like I said, sunlight will fade anything, but it'll fade it out. It'll take a long time and it probably won't look the way you hope it will. So I guess the, my, that was my very long way of saying, no, it's not going to work. Um, but I didn't want to say no, because I'm sure somebody out there would go, no, technically it would, it would, but not in the way you're hoping. Um, there's a reason why when they do a lot of relic instruments, they still stick with nitrocellulose lacquer. Um, not to mention polyurethane does not age very well. In my opinion, it doesn't have a great aged look. That's what's great about poly. It looks great. It looks new forever. Well, for a long time. <laughs> and it looks great. Uh, but it uh, it also uh, doesn't age, you know, doesn't take the aging well. So um, I would I would say no, don't try it if you want my opinion. Um, and the only exception to that is if you find someone who's done it and successful at it, then maybe follow their lead and get their their notes on it. I have a friend who works and he paints guitars and ages them and does all this stuff. He's a custom painter to instruments. And as far as I know, he's never aged any polyurethane instruments. Um, I'm still thinking everything he does when he ages it, he'll stick to a different finish. But, you know, there you go. Uh, Max Shade 7 says, hey, Phil, thoughts on the Seymour Duncan everything axe strat pickups uh, uh, for the Fender USA Strat Deluxe. I have not tried them. 
uh, obviously I'm curious uh, about them, um, especially single coil pickups. I find that single coil pickups are a pickup that if you come out with a new one, <laughs> I'm immediately going to pay attention to that because I'm always looking for that perfect single coil strat tone. I always feel like a humbucker. I'm always looking for a good sound from a humbucker, but I feel like I have about a six, I'm say half a dozen, half a dozen great humbuckers where I'm like, I love these pickups, but single coils, even when I find ones I love, I sometimes will fall out of love with them. There's something about single coils that I'm addicted to them because I love playing through them, but I'm addicted to the perfect single coil sound. So I'm curious about them, Max, uh, but I unfortunately haven't tried them. Uh, but my thoughts on them, uh, I'm, I'm interested. Uh, maybe I'll get my hands on them uh, for the pickup test videos. Um, silver pair, silver pair uh, ducks, silver pair of ducks. I'm probably saying this wrong. Some kind of phonetic thing, like several paradox or something. But anyway, Silver Paradox says, can you do an install review of the Flatsons Resonance pickup on Amazon? I rolled the dice and I loved it. Um, what I will do is, so I will I will index that, the Flatsons thing, and I'll look it up. Maybe I'll do it. I just bought, um, I would say every, but that's you know so exagger exaggerated, stupid. I just bought a crap ton of, uh, luthier tools off of Amazon. Um, they're down in the shop right now. The video is, I'm, I started working in it first. I have to go through them all. Um, so I'm gonna, uh, that was a request from a patron. The patron said, would I go through all the Amazon tools? So what I did is I picked out all of my favorite Stu Mac tools that I've had forever. Um, and again, this is my problem. A lot of times when I'm really disconnected to the to the comments when people talk about the expense of the stool mac, stew mac tools uh when they're like man phil these things are really overpriced or expensive i'm disconnected because um i haven't needed to buy any tools really in a while you know what i mean i buy i buy things that i have to maintain but i've had my core amount of my tools for a decade or two uh just going for my last round of tools so i understand it's you know it's expensive, uh, but I feel like I've done it over a period of time, so it didn't feel so bad. So that being said, I'm doing the Amazon tools. I'd be interested in doing Amazon pickups. Uh, I, I, uh, I'll check out the Flatsons Resonance pickup. However, so you know, I really plan to hammer a lot of these inexpensive pickups in these uh, pickup uh, videos that I'm working on. Um, I really want to show, you know, hey, uh, how do they sound? I'm really curious. I'm always uh, curious about uh, cheap pickups. I think I've said this before. Cheap pickups, we're talking about price now. Cheap pickups um, to me are a funny thing because everybody always thinks they sound bad. To me, they sound different. There's things I like about cheap pickups, believe it or not. There's certain things. Um, so it's not always negative. Sometimes everybody's like, oh, cheap pickups sound muddy. I'm like, oh, I don't know about that. But sometimes they do have a, a low frequency quality that I like in the cheaper made pickups. The irony, like a lot of things that we love in gear, a lot of the stuff that we covet now was made at one time just to be cheap. <laughs> so, uh, let's see. Greg K says, great to be here alive. Uh, thanks always for the show. Thank you, Greg, for popping in. Uh, today you guys might notice I've changed a few things. The, the, the office is totally redone. I, uh, it killed me. <laughs> I'm sitting here. I, I seem like in a good mood. I am wiped out. Uh, uh, my wife and I redid the office, uh, new paint, new everything, new, new everything. Uh, so, um, again, to expedite, uh, how I record videos, um, since I recorded them all in here pretty much now, I used to not, I used to bounce back and forth. Um, but now I do them all in here and I wanted to, 
do it, change it up. So I've changed it up a lot. It's uh, massively different. That's for sure. Um, so uh, let's do, I know I got a lot of super chats, but again, let me hop over to some non super chats, see what you guys are saying. There's almost 700 of us hanging out. Um, and again, if you have a question or I'm looking for comments too, but yeah, if it's a comment even that you want me to read, just put the question mark in front of it. Again, I'm looking for the question mark first just to see that it's something. Cause I know a lot of you guys every week like to talk to each other and I, I, I enjoy that. Uh, Joe says, Hey Phil, do you still use, uh, the JJ junior? Um, and, uh, or right. The double J I should say somebody corrected me like, Phil, it's not the JJ junior. It's the double J. I'm like, Okay, says JJ Jr. on it, but I understand what you meant. Uh, now that I have the Dirty Shirley Mini. Yes, actually, J Joe, um, what's happened is, I'm looking because I'm looking at my amps right now. What's happened is I've I've definitely decided that those two amps speak to me for some reason. Um, the Dirty Shirley Mini is like this amp that I just love to play um, in the idea that it's like, man, I don't know. I just, everything about it speaks to me in a way, like I, like I said, in a creative way, I want to create music when I play it. I want to practice more when I, when I plug into it, I want to experiment more with stuff. Um, I like using the overdrive on the dirty Shirley, but messing with all the different ways I can run pedals through it to give different tones. And then of course, you know, I, I write some stuff and record some stuff and play around stuff. Um, the JJ junior is different experience. That amp is in the other room now. In fact, what happened is I've moved all the amps into the office except for one amp. And uh, the one amp, uh, well, I shouldn't say that, but you get the idea, the majority of the amps. One amp now in my bedroom is the JJ Jr. That's the amp I'm keeping in the bedroom, that and a small pedal board. That's enough for me to have every sound I want, the clean I need, the overdrive I need. So the JJ Jr. to me is like the, uh, like I really feel like this, uh, you know, if you, ever, if you ask me what my favorite amp was, I'd say just in the world right now, it'd probably be the Dirty Shirley. Um, and again, I'm always a Princeton fan, but the Dirty Shirley is definitely my favorite amp now. Uh, if you ask me which one should you get of the two, I would probably tell most people probably get the JJ Jr. just because I think it does more than the Dirty Shirley does. But I don't know. I always feel like I want to do a shootout between those, between those two amps. But they're literally so different that I just don't know, you know what I mean, why, you know. But I'm super happy with them too. I still have my PT20, although I, I like I said over over time, I don't plan to keep the PT20. Um, I, I don't, I'm not necessarily get in a hurry to get rid of it because I still like it a lot. But uh, my thought process is to get rid of it to get the the twin sister, which is the Dirty Shirley Two channel. I want to have the Dirty Shirley Two channel and then put the mini in the other room. So and then bring the JJ in here, and I can have that. So uh, okay, so on. Um, that note what are we doing how am i doing hopping around uh oh here's a good question from a bunch of letters and a bunch of numbers <laughs> jj jdj 62 64 60 hut hut throw over the ball that's the sign on it says hey phil how thick is the maple cap on the gibson les paul classic light you know i don't know for sure uh, but if I was, uh, uh, gonna give my best guess, it's the same exact thickness as a standard, uh, classic top, uh, classic Les Paul, um, the Les Paul classic light, look, that Les Paul light is essentially just a classic Les Paul. And it looks like they just cut the, cut the, uh, maple cap, uh, or the, don't listen to me. They cut the mahogany block in half. 
that's what it looks like. It looks like they took the thickness of the block and cut it in about half, maybe a little bit more, maybe 60% of the body thickness, but it really doesn't look like that way. It's about half. So essentially they took away the mahogany. Um, I, I don't have an opinion about that either way. You know what I mean? I don't know what the best way uh, to do that guitar is, um, but I just love the comfort of it. Somebody pointed out a really good uh, thing about that video that I liked. Uh, somebody, two things that I thought was interesting because I like these live shows, especially when you guys uh, get to see a video I did. And now we can talk about it. Uh, on the Les Paul Classic Like, which I'll index right here in case anybody hasn't seen that review. A um, couple things. One, a couple people, like three or four people, mentioned now that the in output jack on it uh, is crooked. Just a little bit. It is just a little bit. Um, now, however, uh, AMS sent this guitar to me uh, for the review and uh, and for uh, and and for doing reviews for them because I'm going to do some other products as well. You guys will see that soon. We'll do some giveaways. Um, I got the impression it's a B stock instrument. Now, so you know, I've talked about this on the channel. I'm not saying it is. What I'm telling you is that. <laughs> This is something we talked about. I have a Hughes and Kittner uh, Grandmaster Deluxe that Hughes and Kittner sent me. That is, it was a Sweetwater return. I think I've talked about that now three or four times. Uh, it has a blemish on the plastic uh, screen on the front of it. And um, so it's not uncommon for companies to send channels, YouTubers, uh, blemished product, B-stock product, because again, uh, they're not going to see a lot of this product back. You know, I mean, in this case, I'm keeping that guitar. Um, that was something that we talked about. Uh, when, uh, when American Music Supply approached me and said, Hey, would you like to do some review videos? And I was like, yeah, that would be actually great. Cause it'd be great to get some access to some stuff. Uh, when they asked me what I was interested in is a like compensation package for doing videos. I had said like kind of what I said in that video, you have a guitar that I'm very interested in. I would love to figure out a way so we can make that happen, whether that be a discount deal or, you know, let me have it either way. I'm going to review the guitar. So you'll get an actual, another video out of the deal. You know what I mean? You'll get another video. So I was very excited about that because i was very excited about the guitar and uh i was gonna buy it anyways now what's funny is they angled uh the slightly off uh, output jack the plate is slightly tilted um the other issue was i could have sent it back and said hey guys can you send me another one the problem though is i love the way the guitar plays and sounds and it freaks me out when i love a guitar to let go of that guitar. I think I've said this to you guys many times. I have some guitars. Uh, you know, sometimes the top is not the prettiest, but it's like, man, I just, there's something about this guitar. So that's it. The other thing that came up that about the video that I really liked was somebody was talking about the LTD Eclipses and how they're thinner like that. And that's absolutely why I love that guitar because that's what I love about the ESP Eclipse and LTD Eclipses. Um, so yes, absolutely. <laughs> you can get one of those and get something like what you have there. But I obviously what I was going after was a Gibson vibed instrument. I wanted a Gibson instrument. Um, for the main reason, so you know, is that when I'm doing videos, I find that uh, sometimes plugging in a Gibson Les Paul or a Strat into a product when you're doing a review really resonates with uh, a broader a group of musicians. Um, I understand you guys, most people that are going to be watching the you know live show or listen to the podcast. You guys are more familiar with my channel, but you understand 80%, and that's an, uh, probably an, that's an easy estimation. It could be 75, but let's say 80% of the viewers that watch the 61 million vi views of videos I've created on YouTube, uh, they're not subscribers or repeat viewers. They're, they're, they're just, they just watch a video, watch a video, watch a video. So they've, they've, you know, like I said, there's eight, on, eight out of almost every 10 people that are watching one of my videos. They're, uh, they're not a, a repeat viewer. They're just a one-time viewer. So you want to appeal to them because you're going to, it's a balancing act. I got to appeal to the, to the core of the audience that, that you guys right here, you're here for me. 
you're important, but also I got to also pay attention to the fact that if I don't create content for the people that are not the uh, regular watchers, uh, then you won't have any growth in the future. So uh, that seemed like a long way to tell you that's what I did, but that's good. I don't know. Maybe it's insightful. Hopefully you guys like stuff like that. So what else do we got? We have Matt Wells says, hey, Phil, I'm assuming the nut is cut correctly. Okay. I love that idea. I love it when you guys say that. Really. What would help tuning stability more on a Les Paul Jr. upgrading the wraparound tail piece or adding locking tuners? Um, well, tuning stability, I, I don't know what the wraparound tail piece upgrading that would do. Obviously, if you upgrade uh, those a bridge, you're really going after maybe intonation and sometimes sustain is it a factor of that. To me, locking keys would give you better tuning stability. Of course, keep in mind, you don't need locking tuners for tuning stability. They just happen to generally help you in that situation because you don't have to worry about string slippage, uh, miswrapped strings around the post if you're doing that wrong. And um, also it's just faster than you can, you know. So I, if it was me, I'd put the locking keys on. That would help for the better tuning stability. So, and it's a good stretch your strings out a little bit. Matt Bud said, Gibson Custom Shop Les Paul Jr. or Nags. Uh, can, I don't know how to say it. I don't, I don't know the name. <laughs> I'm going to say K-E-N-A-I-J. Is, is that an artist? Uh, both costs around the same part. I've far, I'm sorry if I if I don't know the artist and the, the name. Uh, I, I'm, if it's not an artist, then the Nags, I know all the guitars are named after like uh, rivers, like uh, some kind of rivers thing. Uh, I know um, Larry Mitchell did a video with me and he's on my channel and explained the names of Nags. But um, anyways, which is better purchased in the long run? Oh, the Gibson, <laughs> without a doubt. <laughs> without a doubt. What do I think is a better quality instrument? The Nags. Does that matter? I, apparently not, if we're going to talk about the long run. Here, here's why, buddy. Uh, Matt, um, I have a Nags, and uh, I bought it used, and I'll be lucky if I sell it for what I paid for it, and I got a good deal on it. They're hard to move. There's nobody looking for a Nags. Uh, I bought a Nags Sovereign to do a video and, and hope maybe that I would fall in love with it and keep it. I did not fall in love with it, so I'm not going to keep it in the long run. But the reason I still have it is because it's a, uh, it's a, uh, how much do I want to lose when I sell it kind of deal? <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm not prepared to emotionally lose the money yet. I know it's coming, <laughs> right? I know it's coming, but, uh, and I got it, like I said, a good price. Um, but the nags just, man, the horrible resale value on the nags. It's because no one's really looking for nags. It's a very niche guitar, small brand, only some players. Um, but quality wise, if you were going to ask me what was a better quality guitar, a Gibson custom shop or nags, I would say the nags based on my personal opinions and the quality guitars I have. I've owned a Gibson custom shop before and I've had, had a nags and a Worked on both many times and overall nags is better, but man, without a doubt, a better situation purchase and resale value. Uh, Gibson is always a better uh, con uh, deal. You know what I mean? It's just better. So in my opinion, should we always end with that in your, in my opinion, so that there's not an internet quake later. Phil McKnight stated for unequivocally that nags has poor resale value than Gibson and it'll be on Reddit and the gear page. But then he said, oh, in his opinion. So now we don't have to uh, chastise him. <laughs> See, I'm making myself laugh. Hopefully you guys are laughing too. Uh, 
I have no idea what this means. The Dank Savage says, would I ever play a Karate Kid movie theme guitar? Uh, I don't know what that means. <laughs> when I think of a Karate Kid movie theme guitar, I think of Crossroads and the Telecaster because of Ralph Macchio. So I don't know. Uh, no. So uh, that's it's crazy. Uh, all right. I like that question because it was crazy. All right, um, let's go. Let's get some some more of these questions. Here we go. Steve, 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 Steve. Four times Steve. Uh, he really wants you to know his name is Steve. Uh, says, hey, Phil, what's your opinion on the PV uh, Valve King versus the Butcher? Oh, you know, that's a great uh, question because those are two strangely, uh, strange amps. You know, it's funny is I did not like the Butcher. Uh, the butcher, uh, there's two now, right? There's a newer one and the older one. I don't know much about the new one. So let me, let me tell you what I knew about the new butcher. Um, I remember I once took a butcher on trade at the store. This is probably about 10 years ago. It was an old butcher amp. And I was like thinking, man, this amp is not, not my cup of tea. I did not love it. Uh, the Valve King I thought was very cool. Obviously it's a high gain amp, but it's a very cool amp. And I liked it. Then PV reissued the butcher. I don't know when that was. I, I, I'm sorry, guys, we're doing off memory here, but here's what I remember. I remember telling PV because I was a dealer at the time going, man, I can't believe we're reissuing the butcher. And they said, well, it's really not the butcher. What happened was we were going to make a 50 watt Joe Saturani amp and then he left to Marshall. So we repackaged it as butcher. Now, I don't know if that story is true. Sometimes the sales guys just say whatever they think is going to make the dealer go, really? Oh, we've got to buy them now. You know what I mean? But <laughs> maybe I fell for his jargon. It wasn't like an official statement from PV, but uh, he was saying, but it, the story, of course, made sense because uh, not only did uh, um, Joe go to uh, Marshall, but it happened very quickly. So I could see where they would be stuck with a uh, some kind of Joe Satchrani prototype that would have to be converted to the new butcher amp. Um, so again, not saying again, that's a fact. I just did something I'd heard once, but uh, but what's my opinion? I liked both the new butcher. I liked uh, more, obviously, and the Valve King. I, out of the two, for some reason, I like the Valve King stuff. I even like the Valve King 20 head. I remember I did a review of that. It might still be up on the channel. I don't remember. It was early on. Uh, when I did, I think I've said this uh, before, but so, you know, when I started my channel very early on, I did some reviews of some PV stuff and the PV guys reached out to me immediately and because the amps had a horrible sound in them, hum, hum sound in them. It was really bad. And people were like, what's that horrible sound? <laughs> and uh, people reached out and they're like, hey, hey, uh, what, you know, and, uh, can you take those videos down and we'll send you new product? And I took, I didn't know how to uh, take a video offline yet. Remember, I was new, very, very new to YouTube. We're talking within the first 10 videos. Um, so I didn't know you could like just go private on a video. I deleted the video and they never sent me any product or anything. And, and then basically told me that the hum was normal. <laughs> so I, I never, so I don't remember what, I, I know it was like the 5150, but I don't remember if the Valve King had the issue too. Uh, Neil a says, Hey, Phil, uh, I bought a Ormsby TX guitar already have the Ormsby hype, uh, guitar, both six strings, multi-scale. These are great guitars and comfortable. Your thoughts on multi-scale guitars and have you owned one? Uh, I've never owned a multi-scale guitar. Uh, I've worked on many. Uh, in fact, uh, uh, it's just talking about this with my buddy Lawrence a couple weeks ago about the first time I did a, a crown level on a stainless steel multi-scale uh, eight string. It was a, uh, a scary proposition. This was about, um, 
a seven years ago. And I remember like when that stuff started taking off and, and, uh, my buddy had bought a, uh, Strandberg with issues and we had to fix it. Um, so, uh, to, that's my way of saying I've, I've, ex I've played the multi-scale stuff. So here's, here's the thing on multi-scales. I really like the idea of a multi-scale for a six string guitar. The reason I say that is because I love the idea that maybe the low E string is like a strat 25 and a half inch scale and the high E string is like a Les Paul 24 and three quarters. I love that idea. To me, it's like, that's like those balanced tension strings, man. That's a great idea. You know, right. Give me a guitar with a little slightly longer scale on the low side than the high side. Here's where it gets tricky. I, I like seven strings. I own some seven strings. In fact, yeah, behind me is my main seven string that I love, which is a 1999 RG67620, which is a seven string, 25 and a half inch scale guitar. I think it's because old school, I like seven string, 25 and a half inch scale. I know some of the new players like this 26 and a half and 27 and stuff. It's just not, it's too baritone for me. It's too, too long scale. It's not my thing. I'm not chunking. I'm not genting on them. So the reason I say that is a lot of the multi-scale seven and eight string guitars don't appeal to me because I really don't like the, although I agree with the concept, you know, have that low B string or that low, whatever the eight string is. That is C. So anyways, uh, whatever the low string is, have it, you know, have the longer tension makes sense. It's not what I'm after. Um, I like the idea of uh, a multi-scale being a little tamer kind of beast again, 24 and a three quarters to a 25 and a half. I think that's just, and that's why sometimes when you see the six strings and the multi-scales are just a little bit fanned, I think that's perfect, perfect concept. So, um, uh, which is, I think, truer to what it was originally intended to be. You know, obviously the first, the first multi-scale guitars I remember were basses by Dingwall. That's, again, I don't know if that's who invented it. I've said this many times and probably somebody else totally invented it, but that's the first time I remember seeing that. Uh, and we're talking, you know, 20 years ago, <laughs> right? I mean, easy, easy 20 years ago. Oh my goodness, it can be longer. I'm saying almost goodness, like, like I'm 90 years old. Wow. It was like, but it was a long time, obviously. So, uh, and, uh, it was Dingwall that I remember thinking, what's wrong with those frets? <laughs> um, so, so that's my, uh, yes. And I do want one. I want a six string multi-scale instrument. Uh, if I get one, uh, which I'm sure I will. One thing that's cool is that, you know, obviously doing reviews and stuff, it makes sense to get more instruments to have product to talk about. Um, I think I'll, I'll end up getting one. If I get one, I'm, I'm definitely looking at, uh, like I said, Tajima's uh, offered a new affordable line of them. I'm interested in those. I'm interested in maybe doing a Kiesel one. Um, I don't think I'm going to go Strandberg uh, as much as I think they're cool. It's just not, not what I think I'm going to do. Um, something like that. But yeah, there'll be one at the very least one on the channel so I can talk about it. So chicken guitars. Hey, what's up? Chick and guitars. It's N like the letter N, but it's like N like and uh, chick and guitars. Uh, she says, uh, not a gear question, but a book question. Okay. <laughs> this is never going to go well. Uh, what is the, what are your most recommended reads for learning about the history of mechanics of guitars, amps, and gear? It's a great question uh it's one of those things like i should have a a canned answer for that because that's the you know it's funny is when i started doing qas and i started doing the channel i thought that's what i was going to get lots of those kind of questions so i used to have canned answers ready to go and then over time it, we start talking about everything but that um i have i have you know it's funny i have a ton of books uh there's a great book by uh, Stu mac that was good um that i didn't love 
<laughs> but it was good. It's again, a lot of the tech books are tech books. So the question is, what's a great book for learning the history of the mechanics of the guitars and the amps and gear? Um, I really like, you know what, you know, it's funny. My favorite book, which is weird, is the history of Ibanez book. And it's not what about that. It's about the history of Ibanez. But it, I like the book because it really walked through all of their problems they had. Um, there's a lot of other books. Like I've read the history of Framus book. It's okay, but it's too history and not on the guitars a little bit, but it's still a good book. Um, a lot of the amp books are, a lot of the books I read are amp books, like the father of loud's a good book and, uh, the, uh, Hughes and Kittner history book, which was a slow read, but still a good book. Um, again, when I say slow read, I'm not dogging the writers or anything. I mean, uh, granted it's a subject matter. that's a little tough to get through. Um, to be honest with you, uh, I'm trying to think right when I did, I'll tell you, I'll tell you chicken guitars. This is what I can remember the most. When I decided I wanted to work on guitars, I did, I went out and bought books. Okay. And what I can tell you is I never really learned anything from those books. I got piece of information and there were certain reference materials that I found. It wasn't until when I started, there wasn't a YouTube. So I had to just find a mentor. That's, that's what it is. I found a mentor. Um, that's, uh, you know, I, I shadowed people. Hey, can I watch you do this? Hey, I have a question about this. Um, and then I remember the, sm the next thing I did, I want to say smart thing I did, but it was, it was definitely a smart thing I did was after I got somebody to show me how to do stuff and I started working on it and doing tri trials, you know, tr testing my ideas and how I'm going to work on things. Then I started to figure out how to get a resource and a resource was someone I could call. You know what I mean? And that was huge for me. Having a, a resource. In fact, my biggest, uh, this is going to be a, a, a cool recommendation. My biggest thing that I did that moved me to the next level of repairing instruments and building and doing stuff was when I found someone that I trusted to fix my, my mistakes. It, it was like, it was like my, Oh crap call. You know what I mean? So, what happened was I almost never, ever had to call them. In fact, I can't remember maybe more than once ever calling them for help. It was knowing I could call somebody. It was knowing that if I got into a point where on this instrument, I don't know what to do. This is who I was going to call. And at the worst case scenario, I was going to have to take it to them and they were going to have to fix my mistakes. And that really made me take more chances. And those chances actually ended up really working for me because I was, uh, it got, I got better on. So, so, uh, m more so than a book, I would definitely say, try to find a mentor is better than a book. So, especially in today's day and age, you'll move much faster. Um, try to find that person that's willing to say, to give you 10 minutes to 20 minutes of their week. You know what I mean? That's all it takes. Just a few, you need to bounce an idea off somebody. I've seen what you're doing on your channel and stuff. And I think you're doing great. Um, some of the stuff you did, it, it, think about this. Some of the stuff you did, like when you did your telly bit build, um, you know, a lot of people don't realize this where you're starting, where you started your repair journey. And I'll put some links to the videos I'm talking about guys. Um, where she, where she started her repair journey, it starts off. She doesn't realize it, it starts off like 10, 10, 10 serious paces ahead of how everybody else had to start just 10 years ago. You know what I mean? So it's great to see what they can, what, what, uh, what people can pull off now. She did a fantastic job. I was impressed. Like I said, I was impressed with everything that she did. Uh, some of the artwork on the guitar, everything just looked fantastic. Everything looked far, far beyond what I think a, a, a beginner, somebody working on instruments should have, should have put out as far, as far cry 
better. So it was really good. So, uh, so that's what I would do. I would just uh, look for resources to ask people. I don't know if a book will help so much other than resource material. But the sad thing about resource material now is to me, getting a book about resource material is like asking for the encyclopedia for resource. You're going to find it on Google way faster. Um, the, uh, and then, and then also try to figure out exactly what it is that you suffer from, uh, and then figure out what you can master. Um, and what I mean by that is, uh, it's okay to be horrible at one thing. Uh, especially in repairing instruments, right? Since we're talking about repairs. So, uh, some people just like, I'm my horrible at paint. I have no tolerance for it. Um, luckily for me, I have a friend who's a carpenter and he, he built some stuff for me and I needed the drywall done. And I said, can you do the drywall? And he goes, no, I don't do drywall. And I'm like, oh, it's easy though. It's way easier than what you're doing. And he's like, I have no tolerance for it. I won't do drywall sanding dust. I hate it. And, uh, you know, and then I had somebody do the drywall and maybe it's not the greatest attitude, but what I learned from that was he was successful because he was a very successful carpenter. Um, and he ditched one thing he didn't like. He figured out how to get around it. So I did the same thing with uh, instruments. I won't paint instruments because I have no tolerance for it. <laughs> I have no tolerance for cleaning all the paint off me. Just that part drives me crazy. Just the idea that I'm, in fact, I, I redid the office. My wife painted all the walls for me. It was a, it, she is like the nicest thing she could do for me. I did it. The other stuff, I did everything else she painted. Uh, Cause she knows it's just a, I don't have it. It's, it's just I don't have a tolerance for painting. So um, what I, but that's what I decided. I wasn't good at that. So I was going to detract from that. So if people need refinish work, I have somebody in my pocket who does my refinish work. And so I can do the work and then I hand it over to them. And what I found is in, in most cases, I don't need to refinish anything. The other thing that I, I, I know I uh, did was I learned to excel at something. And what I excelled at was electronics uh, wiring up instruments and coming up with different ways to wire up the instruments. So for, without a doubt, those, that, that became my thing. People have me wire around up all kinds of weird pickup assemblies and pickup ways and, and doing stuff. And, and, um, and, uh, what I learned was uh, having that re, uh, having all the, and I, and I always wrote a schematic out for whatever I did. And that's what I learned really helped me was a year later, you forgot how you did something and you'd have to start from scratch, but cause I had it all written out I'd be like, this is how I did last time. So I don't know, I'm gone on that tangent, but maybe hopefully that was helpful to somebody, everybody, nobody. <laughs> so all right. Uh, I'm going to go to the non-super chat. Remember, guys, I'm just telling you that. So if you super chat, don't worry. I pin your question. I promise I get to it. Um, there is. What else do we got? Uh, hold on. Uh, I don't know what this is. So I want to read. Uh, Dirty Frank says, what do you think of the new uh, Behringer online auction site? I don't know anything about it. But I wanted to say, read it so that way I can index it. Maybe it's something you guys can check out. I'll check out too this week. Maybe it's something we're talking about next week. Um, oh, Big Idea 100 wants to know if there's any good books for, for, to, for wiring. Um, no, I don't know. Uh, again, it's, uh, I haven't bought a book in a forever. What I can tell you, though, is this. Uh, the smart thing to do, is, which, which is what I did, is when you go online, uh, there's a ton of great w websites uh, that have all kinds of schematics. Uh, besides, Seymour Duncan has great ones, too. Um, but uh, what I was going to tell you was always print them 
because they disappear all the time. It's weird. I don't know what there's a legality to it or just the people get sick of hosting the website. But I found that I have tons of schematics that they don't exist. Or I can't find them now uh, very easily like used to. Um, and I just printed them. And I have a, uh, what do you call it? A little binder. And I just put them in a binder. Best book ever. Just get all the schematics, put them in a binder. So, um, in fact, I thought about it. It, it stinks. I, uh, I have so many now and I have such a great resource. Everybody talks about like, Hey, sharing it. And, um, you know, if I printed them, you know what I mean? I'd have to at least charge the cost of printing them and do all this stuff, which isn't very much, but then I don't know what the legality of that is. Cause I don't, I don't know if they're copyrighted or anything. I, I, I always tell myself I'm going to look into that because I have all these schematics and somebody wrote them up and uh, some are mine that I wrote up and some are mine are you know, or adapted somebody else's stuff, but, but the large majority are somebody else did the work. And again, it's just nice to have a, a directory of them all. So, uh, let's, uh, uh, right. Radera, man, I'm gonna say Radera, Radera, Radera 81. <laughs> How do you set your boss katana for high gain metal tone? I don't, um, I, I set it on the brown sound and uh, I, the higher gain setting doesn't do it for me. So I do it on the brown side sound and I just hit hard as I can. Uh, and I, <laughs> uh, I know it sounds silly, right? Um, but there, there, I've learned this with high gain, high gain to me, you either got to do it right or don't do it at all. Um, there's a difference between when a high gain amp, like a 5150 sounds really just full and fantastic. And when it's a can of bees, um, and the Katana, I have not messed with it enough enough. I have the Katana Mark II. I haven't messed with enough on the metal to find a metal tone that is, you know, to my liking, I'm sure I can go and edit it and stuff, but just turning the dials. I like the, uh, the Brown sound a lot. So, uh, okay. I got some super chats again. I'm going to toggle back and forth. We're doing great on time. Um, what else do we got? We have Ross Johnson says, what do you think about the new PRS S2 594s and the 594 thin line guitars? How do you think they'll compare to the 594 core and Gibsons? Well, Ross, I don't know exactly, but I can tell you, uh, that I will because, uh, I have not looked at it right now, the tracking number, but there is a 594 S2 on its way to me right now. Cause I know because, uh, PRS sent it to me, <laughs> the tracking number, and said, here, it's on its way. I don't know which one it is. I got the impression it's not the thin line. It's the their single cut or double cut. Very confusing. The email I got was like, hey, it's on its way. The single cut's been the top seller. So I don't know if that meant that they're sending me the top seller or they couldn't send me the single cut because it is the top seller. But I have a 594 core. So I promise to do two videos. I'll probably do an unboxing review of the 594 S2 just to get that out of the way. Say, here's what it is. Here's what I think. And give you some impressions on that. Do some sound samples. And then immediately I will probably film the same day, the second video, which is where I compare it to my core guitar because my core 594 single cut, um, I don't know what they go for. I think they're $3,600. So obviously more than double. So I'd be curious to see how the two react. So I will be doing those two videos. Uh, post haste. Uh, in other words, very quickly, because of the fact that videos like that will do well views because this, you know, it's a new hot product. People are talking about it. It just came out. So obviously it, it uh, bodes well for me to get them done very quickly. My guess is it'll probably be here Monday or tomorrow, right? I, I think 
I think they said they shipped it on Tuesday. Again, I just got an email. Told you I was redoing my studio. Crazy week. Uh, so, uh, and of course, getting ready for the uh, the contest for the build and then the new pickup build. And there's a lot of stuff going on. But uh, so that's that's coming is what I want to say. Uh, Nick just did a super chat for no reason. I appreciate that, Nick. Thank you, man. Uh, Silver Paradox. I like that. Paradox. Silver Paradox says, built-in chorus delay reverb. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a question. <laughs> if not, it's a great statement. Built-in chorus delay and reverb. Yes. You mean am I for it or against it? Uh, I am for it. <laughs> you know, I used to have an anti-digital delay chorus reverb thing. Like when they shoved that in the amps, I'm like, they ruined the amp. Now I'm like, they should just stick it in every amp. Even boutique hand-wired amps, just stick it in there. <laughs> Maybe not that, but you get the idea. I like it. Having it on as, as I like it, especially if I can bypass it, just bypass it. Don't need it. I feel like at this point in 2020, to me, if I could have a, a deluxe, I'm looking at my 65 deluxe reverb right now. If I took that amp and I, you said you could put in digital reverb and delay, maybe keep the original analog reverb, but put in delay and chorus uh, and, and uh, I could bypass it or keep, you know, or use it. It'd be cool just to have it on the fly. It'd be fun. Uh, Brett Weaver says, any insight into when the orange metal flake Dan Electro 59 will be for sale? Today, they just did a picture on their Instagram. I need one. I, I don't know, Brett. Uh, I, I know um, uh, the, the, the fine folks at Dan Electro sent me an email uh, and um, thanking me for having them. I, was, I highlighted their products in my NAM summary videos. And then I said, uh, thank you. Great show. And they asked me if I was interested in, in checking anything out. And of course the 59s were, are still my favorite. Uh, um, nope. It's in the other room. I thought I had my black one out. Um, but, uh, yes, I absolutely love the orange one as well. <laughs> I, I feel horrible cause I love the blue one last year so much, but I like the orange one like you better, but I love the new wood ones. I'm excited about the wood ones. So um, I don't know anything about when they're going to come out or anything. They haven't responded to, I just said, I, what products I'm interested in. And they haven't responded if they were going to be able to send any out this year. Um, but I'm sure I'll hear from them soon. I'll give an update if they tell me anything. Uh, what else do we got? Um, Nick says, I'll do one more and then I'll hop back over. Nick says, any thoughts on the new EVH Wolfgangs with the roasted maple necks? I see they're made in Indonesia. Do you know what factory uh, are they any good? I didn't get to try any. Of course, I'm excited about the, I think, I particularly think the roasted maple neck thing is the greatest thing to happen to cheap guitars. Now, again, these aren't cheap guitars. I understand they're not inexpensive guitars, but you understand what I mean by cheap guitars. Let's say sub $2,000 guitars. Okay. So somebody could freak out right now going, is he trying to say anything that's under two grand is a cheap guitar? What I'm saying is, is that expensive guitars to manufacture, like in the US um, versus inexpensive guitars to manufacture. What I'm trying to say is I think roasted maple necks are cool, especially on guitars they're making faster. I want to say fast guitars instead of cheap guitars. I think that's what we'll do. So what I mean by that is anytime they produce a lot of anything, I think doing roasted maple necks is a great idea to get that wood uh, probably more stabilized than it would be if they were just cutting wood and trying to kiln it and just get it out there fast. So, um, uh, so I'm excited that they're doing that. I have not got to try any of them. So, uh, sadly enough. So if I get a chance, I will, unfortunately, I, you know, I don't think EVH sends out product. And I used to do a lot of EVH videos when I went through a tear where I just bought a ton of EVH stuff and, and did videos like that. But unfortunately, as much as I like EVH stuff, I've kind of bought and kept what I have. Like I have my striped guitar right there and you know what I mean? So 
Matthew King says, what are your thoughts on the Squire Fender bass uh, six? Is it a bass, a baritone, a gimmick? Uh, well, the bass six has been around forever. So if it's a bass six, I'm so horrible at Roman numerals. Is that six? I'm just afraid I'm going to start talking. You guys are going to be like, Phil, that's not, that's not the Roman numeral for six. I just want to know what the Roman numeral for six is. Uh, hold on. Sure. Yes, it's the Roman. Okay, cool. I just want to, you know, I don't know why, but I've never was really good at Roman numerals, probably because they taught them to me and then I immediately never had a watch with Roman numerals on. Okay, so back to the question at hand, which I need to get back to, which was Matthew King says the uh, Squire Fender Bass 6, uh, is it a bass, is it a baritone? It's uh, really neither and both. And here's what it is. The Bass 6 is a, unlike a baritone, it's tuned B to B. I think a Bass 6 is tuned E to E. Uh, so it's, like like a it's like a like a bass guitar and it's like a guitar <laughs> right i used to have one i i remember i thinking it was so cool when i played it um i just didn't know how to apply it into any music that i was using at the time and it went that way forever um yeah and then uh, uh great vanzini saying that it was around the 60s of course it was a huge uh guitar huge uh sound they would do tic-tac bass lines with it and do i think didn't carol k have one for a while you know what I mean? Um, so it's nothing new. It's something old brought back. Um, and if you have a use for it, they're really cool. My problem is, is I thought the idea of it was cool and you strum a few chords and it sounds fantastic. Um, but I just never found a use for it to apply it. Anything I was, I was making any songs I was playing or anything I was doing, but very cool. So, um, Especially in a Fender Squire. I think I think the one I had, I'm not pretty sure the one I had was a Squire as well. Because it was a limited, same thing. They did a run of them. And this is probably about 15 years ago, 10 years ago. Uh, Francisco says, uh, intermediate guitar player having fun learning and creating. I'm looking for a bass sound, octave pedal, short scale like Ivan is. TMB 30 or full scale like a Squire. Also sound difference, full or short scale. So um, he's looking for a bass sound with an octave pedal, and he's asking if he should get the short scale bass. Um, the short scale bass to me, I, we've talked about this before. I, I, there's certain things I like about it. First of all, I think the, the G string on a short scale bass sounds more musical to me, less snappy and more full. So if you're going to do a lot of more melodic music, short scale basses to me have that kind of magical sound recorded i think you can get away with murder so you know i i think if you use a short scale bass it's hard for in a recording with the the way recording now is done that you can't convince the average person that you had a full-size bass on there so my, the reason i tell you that way is if you want a short scale bass because it's easier to play or it just feels more uh you know uh, you know conducive to your style then do that and don't be afraid that you got the short scale, not the long scale. However, if you pick up a long scale bass and you're fine, play that. Um, like I said, you look behind me on my bases right here. Uh, there's my medium scale Stuham right there. And then my other two are standard scale bases. I still play both. And there's things I like about both. But um, I don't necessarily think you have to have a short scale bass. I just think they're fun. And you can usually pick them up on the Jeep. So really cool. And then... Let me do one more super chat and then hop back over. Yankees Clippers. I'm 
okay. It's the Yankees Clippers. Thought I was going to say fan. Yankees Clippers, man. Yankees Clippers. Phil, first time called, long time listener. It's funny. That definitely takes you back. Uh, thoughts on the box on the Vox Night Train combo? I'm going to say it's Vox. He put Vox, but that's the world we live in now. We're we're typing and it's messing it up. Uh, Vox Night Train combo. Uh, I don't have any thoughts on that. I had the Night Train head. I liked it at the time. It's it's not that it was not a great amp. It was great. It's just they made better products. Everybody started coming out with better products. So the Night Train combo is a great amp as well. Uh, it's not on my sites as anything to get, but it's a good amp. That's my thought on it. So good amp. If you could pick it up for a good price, always uh, it's good. Good, but it's a good amp. I wish I had something more exciting to say. <laughs> it's a good amp. Um, trying to think if there's something I would recommend over it. That's the thing. It's still got the voxy, chimey kind of cool sound to it. So that's one of the things I like too. Um, Deshaun says, hello, good, good show. I have an Epi Lucille and I'm putting new pickups in it. Stock has uh, braided wiring, no name pots, uh, switchcraft jack. Should I upgrade to CTS pots? Um, well, here's the thing, man. If you're going to do a hollow body guitar here, I, I usually recommend one of two uh, actions when, whenever wiring up a hollow body guitar. Um, Sometimes there's there's a good sa saying, right? In for a penny, in for a pound. Uh, if you're going to replace the pickups, just gut everything, right? Uh, because it's a nightmare to do. You might as well just get it all over with. Replace everything with new stuff. Make sure everything's perfect. And then you never have to get back in there again. And you're like, done. That's the first one. The second thing is, it, that's one option. I definitely recommend that one. The other option is if you can get it out with the least minimal work, which is sometimes just wiring in the pickups very quickly and not creating a mess. Sometimes that's a good idea. But I can tell you what I do. If you give me a hollow body, most of the time I'm going to rewire everything. If they, if it's, uh, especially an Epiphone instrument, it's going to have, you know, not bad pots or output jack and stuff. I'm not, I'm not, not saying anything like that, but obviously it's not gonna have the best stuff in there. And at this point, just might as well gut everything and put the best in there because it's a nightmare. If you're doing the work, it's just time. You know what I mean? Uh, a tech will charge you a fortune. It usually, it usually expect to pay double the wiring job rate if you're doing a hollow body instrument. Um, but uh, what's great is uh, there's a ton of ways to do it very quickly now. Uh, you know what I mean? I have a little jig that I have. So it slides in there with like this. I use a zip tie and I wire everything and I tie it off to a zip tie that I form to the shape. And then I slide it in, and put it in. I've learned just kind of do it that way. That might be a cool video. Um I know I've really never did any videos of any electronics on hollow bodies, but it's mostly because camera work was almost impossible. But now with the GoPros I have, maybe that's an easier thing to get in there and see. So with my one shot cameras I used to do, I mean, you just wouldn't see anything, but now I can put a couple gingle GoPros in the new studio. Um, so, so there you go. Uh, and then let me hop over. I know I, hold on. There's almost 800 of us hanging out. And we're at the one hour mark. So we're going to try to wrap it up. I try to go about 10 minutes over uh, the last couple episodes. I went a little longer and I noticed a lot of people that that's just a little too long. So let's do some non super chats real fast. Hold on. 
High Seas Marine says, show me this jig. See, yeah, maybe I should do that. Because I, I, you know what it is? I just just started doing it. I, I obviously like all good ideas. I stole it from somebody. It's so, I saw it somewhere. It was literally a picture. It wasn't even a video. This is way back when I went online and saw a picture and I saw somebody was using the uh, the the thick. I used the thick, the white, those really thick, like 14 inch long zip, uh, zip ties. And what, what, I, what I learned was you can kind of bend them into a shape. And then, like I said, run your electronics and then and then tie everything to that. And it was just a great way to do it. And uh, it slides in perfectly. It works great. Um, so uh, the uh, I just don't know if I'll ever be able to do a video of a wiring a hollow body and not have not curse. <laughs> we'll have to bleep that video. I always curse at least once when you're doing one of those things. Because you always get about 90% of it done. You're like, ah, eh, oh, mm. and then it all has to come out and you fix it. Slide it. <laughs> it's never hard to rewire hollow body. No one should be afraid of it. It's just, you understand it's going to take the time it's going to take. That's the thing, right? And what happens is it, it teases you. It taunts you like a, like a angry middle, middle school kid, right? It, it, it sometimes makes you feel like something's going to happen fast. Like you're, you, you're maybe 30 minutes into it and you're like, I'm done. Am I done? I'm done. This doesn't work. Great. <laughs> so um so all right uh okay let's see um what else do we got cursing is a fun yeah i get it i just bleep it they um okay the uh hold on let me grab another one over here uh grumpy mike hey grumpy mike how's it going uh grumpy mike said no particular reason other than Thanks for all the valuable knowledge uh, that you share. Thank you, Grumpy Mike. Uh, I appreciate it, man. I appreciate you. Uh, not only is Grumpy Mike always nice here on the live show, he's a he's a patron and he was very nice in the patron hangouts and he's very very cool dude. The most non-grumpy guy, the name type Grumpy Mike. Uh, so uh, Teddy uh, says, Phil tried Eastman guitars. I have, and I'll have a thought on that in a minute. I'm thinking of buying Eastman SB59V Les Paul, but I'm scared since it's made in China. Have to order without trying. You know, Teddy, I really want an Eastman guitar. Um, I, I And I'm having the same problem you're having. I am sitting here. Here's what it is. I'll, let me tell you, I don't want a Les Paul because I just got a Les Paul, but I'll tell you what I want. I want an ES-335, ES-335. I want an ES-335, and at this point, I either want a Heritage or an Eastman. And I don't know why. You know what I mean? That's the thing we do, right? We have just, you get the inkling in your head, this is what I want. I want this guitar. And like you, I'm trying to decide if I want to pay premium dollars for the Made in China guitar. Or do I want to go? Uh, and and I'll and I'll be very honest about this. It's uh, the the uh, heritage guitar is uh, like my Gretsch. I, I love Gretsch. I think the Gretsch is, in my opinion, the Gretsch is better quality instrument than Fender. In my opinion, heritage seems like a better quality instrument than Gibson. Although that doesn't matter because the resale value, of course, on the Gibson Fender is absolutely amazing, and the GNL and heritage are absolutely horrible. That being said. I I'm like you. I'm, I just want an Eastman and I I'm afraid of uh, 
that kind of money made in China. Seems like a, a scary proposition. Um, and it really got hyper kicked when I got the Shiji and I was trying that guitar out. And I was like, man, to see them make that kind of caliber instrument in China. So again, um, it's just a thought. I'm curious to see what your guys' thoughts pro against, you know, I mean, obviously if you're going to give me the rhetoric of the, uh, you know, Chinese empire, you know, the stuff you guys, sometimes people put weird stuff on videos like, oh, you're helping the Chinese evil empire. I'm like, yeah, well, I mean, I got a phone. I got this computer. I mean, I don't know what to tell you. Um, I understand what you're saying, but I also understand, like, I just want a quality product from a company that I, that I think cares to make quality products. And I think Eastman is that company. So I don't really, I don't really worry about the other thing. Um, to me, what I want is I want the best products to always be made. The consumer always wins, right? So if the Chinese make great stuff, we should buy it in the idea that hopefully what's supposed to happen, you know, God, this is going to get weird. What's supposed to happen is if, 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 if a company in America sees the Chinese guys winning a manufacturer that is, they're supposed to make better products. So we come back and buy products from us, uh, from them, I think. That's how I feel. I feel like that's happening now, by the way. I feel like some of the U.S. products are the best products I've seen in years because of that, because of the competitive nature. I saw this once before, by the way. This was when Japan was killing us when, with the guitars, right? When the Japanese guitars came out and they were amazing, all of a sudden we went from the worst decades in Gibson and Fender history, which is the 70s. <laughs> right for quality and then the quality started coming up so it's again again we're talking about i'm not saying absolutes i'm not saying that's a fact i'm just giving you my perception of what i felt was happening so but i'm really curious to see teddy what your thoughts are because i'm the same thing as you i'm thinking i want an eastman and um uh, at the very least i'd like to review an eastman and give you guys some feedback on that so how about that uh wolf wolf eater yes wolf eater uh, neck pocket gap on a bolt-on guitar, is that a problem? Um, well, the neck pocket gap, again, so you know, some vintage guitars that people just absolutely love have huge ne neck gaps, and that's just a fact of it. Um, uh, especially some some eras of Fender guitars are worse than others. So is it a problem? It's not a problem if the string alignment's right, and it's not a problem if the guitar's playing fine. Aesthetically, if uh, it's an aesthetic thing. I tend to not worry. Me personally, that stuff doesn't bug me. When a guitar plays and sounds right, I don't care. It's like, that's the magic. Um, everything after that is just not a problem for me. So if I got a Strat and it was playing and sounding fantastic and um, and it had a neck gap, I wouldn't care. John Mayer's uh, number one Strat, that beat up black one that he had, it has a twisted neck. I watched an interview and he was talking about that. And he said, but it played so great. They had him swap the neck. I, he said they did like a dozen necks and they ended up putting the same twisted neck on there because it just played great, but it was twisted. I've experienced the same thing. I've had a guitar where the neck was twisted, but in fact, I remember because because a, a guy's like, this neck's twisted. It's no good. And I played the guitar and I'm thinking, this guitar plays amazing. And I said, what do you want for it? And he sold it to me dirt cheap. He's like, well, the neck's twisted. It's no good. I'm like, okay, okay, okay I, I get that. I see the neck's twisted, but it's playing great. And I'm not having issues, you know? So to answer your question, no, there's nothing wrong if it has a gap in it. If there's something wrong with the guitar, but it's not affecting the way it sounds or plays, then it's an aesthetic problem. And that's for you to decide if the aesthetics bug you. But to me, aesthetic problems don't bug me. Heck, you know, people pay for guitars to be beat up. Maybe the future is they'll have like, I want neck gaps. That's what cool <laughs> people will just start having guitars made to look like they're not built right. 
M. Karras says, love Freeman amps in my Kemper. Thoughts on their guitars? Favorite pricey, so you want recommendations. Uh, thoughts on their guitars? Yes, the, my favorite ones and pricey. So what are my recommendations? They are pricey. They're expensive guitars. They're made by J Grover Jackson. They're fantastic. I have the S Vintage S right now. It's in the other room. I have not unveiled that guitar or why, uh, what, uh, but that's coming soon. So there's a little teaser on that. Um, what I will tell you is this. I, I can say my biggest compliment to Friedman Guitars is, is, the, uh, is that oh, stuttering. <laughs> I'm getting so excited. No, I'm serious. Um, my biggest compliment to a guitar company is when they make a great guitar, you want another one. Um, that's not always the case. I have guitars where I get one and I go, this is a great guitar and I'm happy to have it. But every once in a while you play guitar and you go, man, I need another one. Since I've had the Freeman Vintage S, I have been nonstop thinking about their tellies. I just can't stop. Not because I need a telly. I don't need it. In fact, I, I tell you, I, I don't need a guitar. So I'm just, you know, uh, and there's no reason to review a Freeman guitar. So uh, the telly, because I'm going to review the S soon. So that's my thoughts is that's how good the guitars are. I want another one, especially expensive guitar like that. You get a guitar like that and you're like, man, I don't need another one, but I, Want another one. So really like them. Very good. They're better than my Fender Strats. Uh, it's just a fact. So I'm trying not to sneeze. I hope and we're on the end of broadcast without me sneezing. I promise to mute if I do. Uh, ER Webster says, have you seen the Crimson Guitar 2020 build? Uh, hollow body explore multi-scale made ent entirely out of Paduke. Uh, I haven't. I, I I thought I did. I saw some of the stuff. I like Crimson Guitars. I like watching this stuff, man. He's he's crazy. He's, a, you know, he's a he's probably the most underrated thing on YouTube in the guitar communities. The amount of work that he's doing is so far beyond what everybody else is doing. He should be. You know what I mean? We should all just be enamored watching it. Yeah, I'll put a link to it. Obviously, uh, very cool. Uh, company very cool builder very cool thing they everything they do is to me it's like everything they're doing is right uh they got a great youtube channel they make great guitars they have a great class they make they sell really good luthery tools they're firing on all, all engines it's a really good product a really good company i got nothing but amazing accolades to say to them because of the fact that it's one thing that they're good but yes like you said they're they're builds some of the stuff he does you're just like watching it going this is this is like it reminds me of those crazy car shows where they build these supercars or no, you know what it was like those, remember those motorcycle shows? Remember I'm not into cars or motorcycles, <laughs> but they would make these crazy motorcycles. That's how good Crimson Guitars is. Crimson Guitar is so good that people who probably don't play guitar probably watch his channel because just to watch the art, the artistic part of what he's doing. So check out his channel. It's very, very cool. All right. Um, hold on. And Justin made just did a super chat. Justin, thank you so much for have a coffee or a beer on me. I have a coffee beer. How about that? They make both. And I, that sounds gross, but I actually have one. I don't, I have, I have it. It's been sitting in the fridge for weeks. I think I'll have it tonight. And, uh, thank you, Justin. Also, thank you for being a patron man and, and everything and your service. Thank you for your service. So, um, I was gonna, okay. On that note, I think we did it. Hold on. Let me see. There might be one more. Oh, I got, I don't want to forget Reggie. Hey, Reggie says, uh, for the cause, uh, the locking turners worked like a charm. I did shave the nut to stop it from pinching the string. So Reggie's working on a build right now. 
on a guitar and he was uh, adding some locking tuners and uh, it's going good. I'm good. I can't wait to see uh, post me some more pictures when you get closer to done. I'm always curious to see. That's my favorite thing you guys send me, by the way. I know a lot of times you guys send questions and stuff like that. And I really like that stuff. But sometimes when you send me pictures of your guitar stuff you're working on, I, I don't even sometimes get to respond, but I promise when I look at it, it's like, I, it's, I don't know. It's just fun to watch. So it's like anything else. Um, on that note, I think I'm going to call it. We did a little over an hour this week. It was a good, good show. I did all my announcements. I'm looking right now to make sure, uh, look for the new videos with the new studio. I'm very excited. Um, we did hit 250,000 subscribers this week. So a quarter million subscribers, very exciting. Um, so we will be doing the giveaway guitar that I'm working on right now. And I will be announcing more of that uh, before. Thank you so much for the feedback last week. Um, we talked about last week having a charity, you know, giving, you know, having a charity run an auction and then they get the money and then we'll do the guitar. Um, I think what I'm going to do is just do a winner giveaway. You know, I'll, I'll, uh, you guys, I'll give you guys a link and then you guys will basically sign up for it and uh, you can uh, try to win the guitar and it'll be international. I'll cover shipping wherever it goes uh, in the world. I mean, 250,000 subscribers. Uh, this is a big deal to give you a reference of how big deal the chat it is for the channel. Uh, their only next milestone really that I can hit is a half a million subs. And based on, you know, tr you know, all the projections I can get that, that, that would be the, the soonest would be two years from now. And that would be not likely. Um, so not likely at all. <laughs> so, uh, and, uh, and same thing, 60 million uh, views is huge. Uh, the next milestone of Quinn, I think would be a hundred million, same thing years. You know what I mean? Uh, an average about one point, uh, uh 1.5 million uh, views per month is what I've been averaging for the last uh, couple years. And, uh, if you do that math, same thing, it takes a while. So this is a big milestone. I want to make a big deal out of it. You'll see a lot of giveaways, a lot of stuff. Uh, and it'll probably just, well, and, uh, and uh so look for that because i want to do a lot of fun stuff with that and then on that note uh i want to say thank you to everybody and i'll see you guys next week and as always thank you so much and also don't forget to hit the thumbs up button if you enjoyed the live show that's always nice and much appreciated and on uh last i just want to say before i go this is important um because i got a couple new uh patrons for this the uh the the group hold on and um, I don't have the full list of patrons, but I do want to give a shout out to some new ones. Um, one of my favorites, he's not he's not one on the premium page, but his, his sign on was Apple Smasher, which I thought was just fantastic. Uh, I enjoyed that so much. Hold on. And so uh, we have uh, George and Derry. Uh, he's new. I wanted to thank him particularly for coming on the channel as one of the newest uh, top tier uh, patrons. I want to thank all the patrons, everyone who supports the channel in every way. Uh, also, keep in mind, you can always buy merchandise too at the down below if you want to support that way. I put a discount 50% off for that. And uh, But keep in mind, don't, 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 don't forget the best support you can do sometimes is just to watch and hit a thumbs up, maybe make a comment. All that stuff is as valuable as any money. So, I appreciate that as, as well. And then last, somebody got me real quick. I don't want to leave you hanging. I got one last one from Tim. He says, any sound difference from a 112 to a 212 cabs? Uh, what mod can I do to my P PMS MT-15 to tame the lead channel's master volume? Um, yes, to me, a massive difference between a 112 and a 212. To me, the 212s always sound bigger and fuller. But so you know, I also find the opposite. Sometimes the 112 sound a little better, quieter. 
you know what I mean, when I'm playing in the in the bedroom. And the 212 sounds better uh, when I have a bigger room or if I'm going to gig or play uh, somewhere, especially with a smaller amp like the MT-15. So you have to choose your poison. But I like both, and I use both 112s and 212s, but I use them differently. 112s for recording and for quiet play, 212s for playing in bigger rooms or out are playing out to tame the mt 15s lead channel the only thing i could suggest you do is you could plug a uh, volume uh, a pedal an eq pedal anything that controls volume into the effects loop of that amp and kind of use that as a master master volume and uh, i have a video on that i'll put a link in the index below uh, when I index the videos uh, to that video that shows you how to do that. Also, JHS makes a cool pedal that does that as well. I mean, there's a ton of great sources of pedals for that, so it'll do that same thing. Um, other than that, you'd have to... Uh, you'd have to do some... actually get in there and fix some of the... change the electronics. Uh, I love the MT-15. Love it so much. My one massive complaint about that is for a 15-watt amp, it is extremely loud and it's hard to get quiet. And I thought the seven watt mode does not work. You put in seven watt mode and it gets too thin sounding. And I, you know, I just like it in the, in the full 15 mode. So I feel your pain, but um, that's the other thing you can do is run it with uh, something in the uh, effects loop. I would do either an EQ pedal or a volume pedal, something. And just, and just like I said, use that as a master volume to do that. So all right, guys, as always, thank you so much for your time. I will see you guys next Friday, 3 o'clock. As always, uh, until then, uh, know your gear.